This is Prince, the story of Sign of the Times, brought to you by The Current in collaboration with The Prince Estate, Paisley Park, and Warner Records. Hello, welcome to the seventh episode of this podcast. I'm Andrea Swenson. I'm an author and a radio host in Minneapolis. And this series is dedicated to unpacking the many twists and turns that Prince made on his way to releasing his critically adored epical double album, Sign of the Times. In this episode, we're going to talk about Prince's epic Sign of the Times tour, which swept across Europe in May and June of 1987 and was filmed for the concert movie Sign of the Times. This is the tour that introduced Prince's first post-revolution band to the world, and he would emerge as the enthralling band leader of a dazzling and much more theatrical stage show. For this tour, Prince was even directing the audience to join in the production. Ticket holders were instructed to attend the shows wearing peach or black. There are so many incredible stories about the Sign of the Times tour, but I thought we'd start at the same point where the Sign of the Times film begins, by staring into that electric blue hypnotic orb. Uh, my name is Leroy Bennett. Uh, I was Prince's production designer, also co-creator, creative partner, and basically everything that we did together. I was wondering if you could start by telling the story of the plasma ball. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> well, the plasma ball, it was a very trendy thing at the time in the 80s. I don't know who bought it for him, but we had a plasma ball in the rehearsal hall or in the, or in the studio. I can't remember where it came from. The that stuff? Well, you'll never guess who introduced that to Prince. This is Dr. Fink. We were in New Orleans on tour, and I went into an art gallery and lo and behold, it was an art gallery designed specifically to show off these plasma balls that were made by an artist. And I said, wow, that is just really cool. So then I got a, you know all the information about it, and I brought it to Prince. I said, this is really great. This could be cool on stage. He was fascinated by it. And for those who don't know what a plasma ball is, plasma ball is a glass sphere, approximately 10 inches uh, filled with plasma gas that had a central core of an electrical charge in the middle of the sphere that charged the plasma gas. And if you put your fingers close to it on the outside of it, it would be the grounding. So you'd get these little lightning bolts kind of happening. Well, Prince wanted an eight foot diameter one, which when you start to increase the size of something like that, the voltage goes up. And so going from 10 inches to 8 feet is a massive amount of difference. It becomes ridiculous. And the amount of RF, radio frequency, that it set would set off into an arena when we started it would take out all the computers in the entire building, let alone one on stage. Prince would have said, well, just figure it out. The, the thing was that kind of turned him off a little bit was we told him that he had to stand on a real thick rubber mat and if for any reason there was he became a ground he would turn into a pile of dust he would just he would basically explode and we didn't want that so he said okay no plasma walls
the last episode of this podcast, we were talking about the story behind the now iconic cover art for the Sign of the Times record, which features a backdrop from a local production of Guys and Dolls that Prince's team borrowed from the nearby Chanhassen Dinner Theaters. Although the actual backdrop from that cover artwork had to be returned to the theater after the photo shoot, the vibe of it stayed with Prince. He would end up asking Roy to design the entire set for the live show around it. Sign of the Times was a full-on theatrical show. The first time we'd stepped that far into something. The stage set was based off of the backdrop that was from the Chen Hassan Dinner Theater. I wanted to make the backdrop its own character within the show, uh, and its own personality. And so I decided to take all the buildings in the, in the picture, um, obviously didn't copy them, but it was just, I wanted to make this forced perspective, kind of somewhat industrial, whimsical, theatrical city scene. Uh, it was done in the, in the very theatrical flats way. And then I also and added all the neon signs. So they were real neon signs, which was a whole other thing in itself. As the band watched the stage set grow and grow, the scale of the production became clear. Here's trumpet player Atlanta Bliss. I don't believe we're going to have all this uh, neon on stage with us. And how are they going to transport all this neon on stage? Man, we're going to Europe. You're gonna, how are you going to get this to Europe and it's not going to break? Yeah, it was uh, an amazing stage. The pods that were above us were, uh, I think they were like eight or ten feet uh, wide. And Roy had these things rotate around us and spin and uh, and all the neon and the stage and everything. It was just amazing. It became this really funky, eclectic urban world. And that really was the essence of what the album was. Um, it was a nightclub, it was nightlife, it was intimate bedroom stuff, it was all it was all of that. And that's what we tried to create. Now Wally, do you wanna? Yeah! Me too. I didn't have anything to do with that heart. Let's make that clear. That was not my idea. I was following directions and a lot of things happened on that heart. Lots of things. This is Kat Glover, who had some particularly steamy scenes with Prince on stage. I think I was 26 or 27, but everyone thought I was 19. Oh, wow. Hot thing. Early 20s. Oh, I was older than that. So I was like, okay, I'll do the dance, but you know I'm older than this. <laughs> Sign of the Times was released on March 30th, 1987 in the UK and March 31st in the US. And the Sign of the Times tour kicked off in Stockholm, Sweden on May 8th. The tour routed Prince and his new band through many of the same cities he'd just played the previous year with the revolution on the parade tour. Parade based off of the movie. That opened Prince's eyes to Europe a lot. The European audiences in general are way more musically educated. There's a lot more sophistication than there are, is here in America. And because his musical mind was in another stratosphere universe, 
they could relate to it. They understood it. They followed him. And he just loved that. I love Europe, number one. And I think uh, the Europeans are more susceptible to things than we are here. Um, the culture, the food, uh, the clubs. Um, I was just really excited because everyone over there is just so excited to see Prince. That's why Prince did not tour Sign of the Times in America because he told us Europeans are more susceptible. They love him more over there. He felt at home. He felt he didn't have to be commercial. He could play what he loved, do what he loved, feel the freedom of being able to do all that stuff. It was, they suddenly became his friends. They became his people. In the U.S., mainstream audiences were introduced to Prince through the Purple Rain concert experience. His Purple Rain tour sold over 1.7 million tickets. But in Europe, the entry point for many Prince fans was the Parade and Sign of the Times tours, which would often set up camp in each city for three or four night runs. From June 19th through the 22nd, 1987, Prince took over a soccer stadium in Utrecht, Holland, setting up chairs to host nearly 15,000 fans each night. I've gotten a chance to connect with a handful of Dutch fans who were actually at the show on June 20th, 1987, which was recorded and has now been remastered and included in the super deluxe reissue of Sign of the Times. So uh, my name is uh, Pascal Comvalius. And growing up just in that era, just in the 80s, as a teenager, I was uh, 16 at, at, at the time when uh, I went to the Sun Times concert. It was sort of like uh, I sneaked out just to the house. Otherwise, my parents would be very upset if I would just skip school. My name is Roel Bakker. Um, I was 19. My name is Patrick, Patrick Jordans. I was 18. And by the way, more than happy to skip school for Prince. <laughs> Whenever I run into people that are not really big Prince fans, maybe casual fans, and if they have only one record at home, it's always Sign of the Times. And if they have only seen him live during one tour, it's always Sign of the Times. So that says something about the appeal, about the, I think, sort of crossover that he made, at least on the European side of the pond. We stayed overnight to get tickets. I remember that. It wasn't like these days, of course. And uh, you had to not sleep to get tickets. The shows kicked off in, uh, in Stockholm. So a lot of just journalists went especially to these early, early gigs and start just reporting about them. So we were already reading all the stuff what's going on. Like, wow, this has to be magic. This Everybody is blown away by, by this. I think I called Roald and other friends that were going, and I said, you know, we have to wear something peach or black. Uh, it was in the ad in the newspaper, wear something peach or black. It was on the tickets, uh, I think, as well. I wore black, then I went to the body shop, and I had peach perfume, peach scented shampoo, and there I just washed my hair, and that was my combination of peach and black, and I wore it for years. <laughs> On the part of Prince, it was a great move because you know what happened? People did wear peach and black. 
So Utrecht wasn't really a, a rock and roll city. There, the concerts weren't usually in Utrecht. They were usually in Rotterdam. And Prince just flooded Utrecht with peach and black people. So it really added to the atmosphere of the show. As another longtime Prince fan and scholar from Holland told me, Prince put a lot of effort into crafting the experience his audience would have at his shows, right down to the seats they would sit in. I'm Joost Matthij. I am the editor of PrinceVault.com. In Europe, it's very normal to have festival-style performances, so standing room only. But he didn't want that, so he requested especially that there would be 6,000 seats placed in the stadium. It wasn't a football stadium, so they had to put seats there and everything. That's was very, you know, unheard for in the Netherlands. We don't do that. But then, of course, before the show, uh, it rained a lot and the seats were set up. So Prince came to soundcheck on the 19th and he saw that on all the seats was a little puddle of water. So he personally then ordered for all the seats to for a hole to be drilled in so that the water would be away. Didn't he also have like tambourines on the first rows, like being on the chairs? Yeah. I think Patrick is getting one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Aww. exactly. Yes. This one is from Utrecht. Opening act for the Sign of the Times tour was Madhouse, Prince's experimental jazz side project. The original live lineup of Madhouse included Eric Leeds, Dr. Fink, Levi Caesar, and drummer Dale Alexander. I was watching Madhouse like my life depended on it because I loved it. A lot of people were not paying attention, but when I was looking at Madhouse, I looked to the side of the stage and I see Prince. And he's watching Madhouse from the side of the stage and he's hanging on some kind of bar, he's swinging, and then he jumps off and he stands there a little bit and no one sees him but me, I think. So I tap Roald and I say, you know, hey, look over there, it's Prince. And he sees me getting Roald and pointing at him and then he waves at us. Never forget it, that was beautiful. As the sun went down each night, Madhouse would wrap up their opening set and Prince would prepare to take the stage. Here's Levi Caesar. I think we were about two weeks in, and we're all backstage. It was an outside show. It was kind. Of, it was a little cool at night, so we're all blowing our hands, trying to stay warm. And then Prince walks by, and I say, hey, good luck tonight. And he stopped me. He gave me the meanest look I ever seen. He said, don't ever say good luck. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, man. I, you know, he said, no, let me explain. What we do isn't about luck. Did you guys have a, a a hard three months trying to learn the show? Didn't I put you through the ringer? I said, you sure did. <laughs> oh, my God. He said, so it's not about luck. We're ready. We're soldiers. We're, you guys are well-trained. Even on a bad night, you're going to have a good show. That's why I rehearse you like that. So don't ever say it's luck. Because if you're going on luck, then the show's going to suck. If you go on the fact that you worked hard, you're always going to have a good show. And I said, you know what? That's why he's the best. <laughs> that's that's why. Right there. That little thing you just told me, that's why he's the best. Yeah.
Yeah, he started uh, by himself. So he rips his guitar, and then you hear the Lindrum uh, blast through the stadium, and he's just standing there by himself, and that was just the best opening you can imagine. Yeah, I, I still get goosebumps right now. He's here, and he's going to kick ass. And that was uh, fantastic. And then all of a sudden, yeah, these drumming just coming from from the sides. You're like, holy, holy crap! I cannot believe what what what, what I see. So th that was majestic. was a whole new show, you know, within 10 months, with a new band and everything, and, well, the stage set up, and, yeah, it was amazing, you know, I was blown away by it. And then I really realized this is someone special that I should, you know, dedicate my life to almost, uh, musically speaking, and, uh, well, it all, in, in a way, it also spoiled me for, for live acts now, you know, I don't really go anymore, because I saw Prince live many, many times, and I don't care what act you go to, it's not going to be as good as Prince, I'm sorry, but it's just not. Nothing will ever replace a live show. I know whatever you were going through with this COVID crisis and all that stuff, and all this, these virtual concerts and stuff, it's not the same thing, because there's an energy flow that flows between the audience members, and the audience and the artist. And the more the energy starts to click, the better the show is. It's just this thing, it just flows. You can never replicate it. It's the way things smell. It's the way things, you hear it, you see it, you feel it. That energy flowed heavily in, in our shows. Who in this house know about the quake? We do. I said, really? If you know how to rock, say yeah. Yeah. If you know how to party, say oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, what's up? Shut up. Already. Dang. Housequake. Everybody jump up and down. Housequake. Housequake is really interesting because it has that stop and go thing with the audience when they shout quake. You know, that's that's really special. so much love because they do chant the things the Prince asked them to chant. They sing, they light their lighters a lot more. They're just so appreciative. The crowd was very affectionate and something that was invented sort of that night, uh, you can see in the Sign of the Times film, was the, the lighter wave. You can see it during Forever In My Life, you know, that everybody flicks their lighter on the beat of the song. And that is really where Prince got the idea, uh, because he does that in the movie as well. Uh, he used this audience trick in the Sign of the Times movie, and we were there when it, when it happened. And, and the next day, they themselves came out with their lighters up, 
uh, during forever in my life, saying, you know, hey guys, you did it yesterday, do it again. Rather than continue on to play the Wembley Stadium in London as he'd originally planned, Prince opted to extend his time in Holland, adding three more shows in Rotterdam June 26th through the 28th before closing out the tour in Antwerp, Belgium. You got the feeling that Prince came over to Europe, lived on his life. He was writing also here. He was probably recording here as well. Well, he was recording the Sign of the Times movie, obviously. And Susan Rogers has told us that, you know, he always had his recording equipment with him. He was just living, continuing to live his life in Europe, touring, playing. You felt like you became part of Prince's life. You were his entourage, if you will. And that was just an amazing feeling. And when he left, you know, some of us really had the blues. There are a lot of theories about why Prince decided to cut his European tour short and move the production to Paisley Park to finish a live concert film rather than tour the U.S., especially given how critically acclaimed the album had become back home. This is Alan Leeds, and I was Prince's tour manager from 1983 until 1989. So for someone who might not understand what that term is, how would you describe being Prince's tour manager? What does that mean? It, it would take a week because <laughs> being a tour manager is it's an umbrella term and the job definition depends entirely on the artist and the type of tour. It's everything from babysitting the band and Prince and making sure everybody's in the right place at the right time to assembling a crew and staff that's loyal and fully understands the situation and compatible with the artist, and um, basically all the logistics. He had canceled any idea of touring the States with this show. I thought it was a real loss not to do that, because by the time we did tour the States with Love Sexy in 1988, Again, after a European run, the heat of the Love Sexy album had kind of died down. And as, as remarkable as that production was, that tour didn't have the impact that a Sound of the Times tour would have a year and a half earlier. There's a lot of reasons. Because ultimately there was a storyline that played as abstract as it was. It was this kind of abstract storyline to connect all the songs and segue them together. I think he just decided, let's just shoot this whole thing at Paisley Park as the story that we, I want it to be. The way I want it to be seen on film and the way I want it, because you know, film's forever. I think he realized that the marketplace wanted to see the show. So that's number one. Number two is he realized that it should be documented that he wanted his legacy to include a proper documentation of the show, just as he had with Purple Rain. And basically every tour he did was documented somehow, even if it was just his own private footage. So I'm sure he was anxious to have a proper video recording of the concert just for the archive. And knowing that at some point in 2020, God willing, he'd still be with us to do it, but there would be people who would want to see that all these years later. Although some scenes for the Sign of the Times film were captured on the final leg of the Sign of the Times tour, the majority of the production happened in July of 1987 at Paisley Park. We knew about the film 
I think before we went on tour. He had all these brilliant ideas. And however, we don't know what he's up to until it's all put together. I'm like, why am I sitting on the bed and there's thunderstorms? I didn't know what he was going with that. But then when I saw it all put together, I go, oh, okay. And then he got this storyline that uh, me and Brooks were in a relationship, but Brooks cheated on me. And in the beginning of the movie, Prince is playing the drums and I'm talking to him. I want trust and love and he just wants money. And then Prince is listening to all this and Prince is trying to be my boyfriend in the movie and telling me to leave Brooks. So I didn't get all that because it was pieced together. You know, you have to guess, okay, why am I doing this? Okay, yeah. Everything he was doing back then, he was always at least a year ahead of himself, if not two. Now, he couldn't tell everybody that because it would just divide everybody's attention up from what we need to finish now. But he himself was always ahead. I think that during that time, he was probably he was probably thinking about the film when we were rehearsing. And so while we were rehearsing, he's like, hmm, that'll work in the film. <laughs> that'll work. Hmm. Oh, I didn't plan on that, but that's, you know, he's writing it down. And then at some point, he's like, I'm ready to do this. And um, he felt like he didn't really have to explain things to people. He felt like, I work hard enough. Why do I have to explain? This is what I want to do. Let's go. To me, Sign of the Times is what's going on today. I want people to know that the Sign of the Times movie was Prince's heart. That was his little baby. Everybody worked really hard. Um, So did I as a dancer. And Miko and Levi, Bonnie Boy, rest in peace. For American audiences, the Sign of the Times concert film was their first big introduction to Prince's new live band. It premiered on October 29, 1987 in Detroit, and then opened the next month nationwide. So did you both see that in the theaters, the movie? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was so exciting. This is Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph, two lifelong Prince fans who have woven tributes to him into their work as actors and comedians. I just couldn't wait to go. I remember just that opening shot. The camera goes across each band member. The drum line is unbelievable. Oh, it's great. It's great. I was at the height at the time of my Prince fandom, and every subsequent album surprised you even more. Parade already, I was, I just couldn't, how does he reinvent himself this quickly? It almost seems like a a brand new career, a brand new artist, every album. Yeah, that's true. There was this unbelievable anticipation of feeling like you were held in the arms of whatever you were about to experience and and willingly, you know. I think I was 14, 15, and it felt more adult to me, this album. And I didn't know why. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was very struck by him saying, now he's doing horse, knowing that he meant heroin and that he was speaking about drug use. That really was intense to me as a Prince fan at that age. And like, it felt like really dealing with like a really serious issue. And it felt grittier in a different way. I think one of the things that informed this idea of him getting older is I think he's wearing glasses. And that kind of as yeah. a kid, I was like, oh, he's, he's more mature. He's a little bit more of a well-read gentleman.
sound of it itself, I still haven't figured out. That, which means, I mean that in the way that like, I love it. So even for today, I still can't wrap my head around um, even what style of music it is. I, I don't know. I can't put it in the category. And I don't mean that like, um, oh, he did many different styles. I mean that I think the ballad of Dorothy Parker is a, there, that's not a genre that I, to this day, recognize of what, what that even is. Fighting with lovers past, I needed someone with a quicker wit than mine. Dorothy was fast. Well, and I'm still very puzzled by a lot of it. There was a large shift in the Prince universe, you know, between Parade and this. It's vast, vast. And a lot was not explained. And as a fan, I I don't think I asked a lot of questions. But then later on, I was like, wait a minute, what happened to, what happened to them? Where's the, where's that thing that I got used to? And, and yet you hear a lot of it on this album. You hear a lot of the, those muscles and those elements that make that particular sound that Fred's talking about completely unique unto itself. You were going to say how great are Prince fans? Yeah. Remember going to the shows, how great they were? Never had a negative experience ever. Everyone was just the best. I think it's also, there was such a level of respect for him. There was such a level of reverence for him that was a uniting factor, you know, that we all knew we were in the presence of a unique individual. Totally. It was never like, um, well, this might be one of those off nights. It was right. Every single show was the best show. Fred and I got to be in the room for um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance yeah. of My Guitar Gently Weeps. That was amazing to see. And that's what I'm talking about, watching everyone on the stage watch him was unbelievable. I will never forget it as long as I live. Coming up next on Prince, the story of Sign of the Times. It's our final episode. I know, I don't want to stop. On episode eight, you will hear the behind the scenes tale of Prince's only onstage collaboration with the jazz icon, Miles Davis. While Miles is playing, Prince turned around to the band and threw up his arm to give us one of the signals for the band to hit one of these cues. And no one paid him any attention. It was probably a good thing that nobody did it because it could have been like a musical train wreck otherwise. But everybody in that band, all we were doing, particularly me and Matt Liston, you know, all we're doing is looking at Miles and we're laughing at this. That's Miles Davis. Mr. Miles Davis. Thank you. Prince, the story of Sign of the Times is produced by The Current, supported by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, and created in collaboration with the Prince Estate and Warner Records and with their support. This story was written by me, Andrea Swenson. Anna Wegel is our producer. Thanks to technical director Corey Schreppel, digital producer Jay Gabler, radio production director Derek Stevens, and managing director David Sapphire. 
Thanks also to Trevor Guy, Giancarlo Siama, Michael Howe, and Dwayne Tudal. To learn more about The Current, visit thecurrent.org. If you haven't subscribed yet, search for Prince, the story of Sign of the Times on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to learn more about Prince, visit prince.com. 